but we also had to have a conversation about how much is too much, how much is not enough, um, and what parents are doing at home. Like we said, some some are having to be teaching and doing their job from home, and some of our teachers were doing the same thing, and it was mm-hmm. it was hard for them as well. So and being cognizant of that, like, is this really important? It helped us really evaluate the worth of some of our lessons. Welcome to Rotten Apples, where we share the best ideas in education, whether it's learning space design, restorative practice, or simply teacher self-care. We're learning from the experts who cut through the BS and find out what's really working and what's not in our classrooms and schools, making St. Louis home to the best educators in practice today. Hey, everybody. We have just one more episode before we close out the summer. This one was a bit of a doozy because we actually started recording in March. <laughs> and a lot has changed <laughs> since March. So I'm speaking with Dr. Lance McClard, and I'll tell you just a little bit about how this got set up because we wanted to talk about rural education, lots of different topics around that. And he's a great person to talk to, and I'll tell you a little bit about him because I had to actually combine both of these interviews, and that's you know kind of the explanation for the delay. But March was, I interviewed him literally maybe three days right before uh, COVID started shutting everything down, <laughs> and it was uh, it became a very, very different situation. When I listened back over the interview, a lot had changed, and so I caught up with him again a few weeks ago to get his take on how some of this has has adjusted. And so I do have integrated some uh, pieces from the original interview in here, but most of it is kind of a follow-up. And so that's why it seems, you know, maybe a little bit haphazard. But I think what was so interesting about it is that we talked a lot, obviously, about the virus. We talk a lot about equity issues, a lot of the things that have come up since March. And the... Uh, While some things have changed, a lot of it is very different. Uh, As he points out, the situation is very fluid. And so we touched on a lot of different things here. We talk about the idea of school as a community hub. We talk about, obviously, online virtual learning and uh, how his district has been impacted by that. And he has a lot of really great ideas around uh, how that conversion worked, what worked and what didn't work for them. Uh, We talk about how the school schedule might look different, uh, not just in the coming year, but in the years going forward. What did we learn during this time? And so he has some really great ideas there as well. Talk a lot about professional development and virtual conferences versus face-to-face. So we touch base on a lot of things here. And so it's a really um, interesting conversation to the point that I just want to do a little bit longer of an intro because if this, this seems very helpful when I talk to building admins or tech coordinators or teachers, they kind of want to know what everybody else is doing. And so we may look at doing a series uh, following up here just to kind of use as a a touch base for everybody to find out what everyone else is doing. I know the policies are a little bit convoluted right now. Not everybody is entirely sure what reentry looks like in August. Uh, So that may be something useful. If that is helpful for you, um, that definitely drop me a line. Or if you have any ideas of people we should talk to or um, any, anything else uh, is a connection point for schools, then believe me, I would love to hear about it. So 
I'm going to just introduce Lance a little bit because this is a part that I actually had to uh, to cut from the first interview. But Lance is he's in his 16th year in education, and he went to SEMO as an elementary educator, left for a little while, moved to South Carolina, taught there for several years, and then decided to come back and move closer to home. And we laughed about that for a while because I bet half of my guests have a very similar story <laughs> where we you know grew up here, but then we leave and then we come back, and there are for a variety of reasons. And so uh, he. Could definitely relate to that. And so in his capacity in Jackson, he is currently uh, a building principal, but he was teaching there for a while. He worked his way up the administrative track. And so, you know, in the 16 years, he's seen kind of a lot. And so it, it gives a tone, I think, to the piece that is really interesting. And that sort of experience, but also the openness to uh, everything that has happened and how flexibility is so key. It's a point that he really drives home. So it's a great conversation. I always love talking to Lance. He's just really a funny, charming guy. And uh, so I do hope you enjoy it. And again, any ideas, just drop me a line. I would love to hear it. So one of the things that we talked about was this idea of a school as a community hub, which was a fascinating conversation for me because when I talk to people about the whole public versus private versus charter, you know, debate. One of the things that I I talk about is that for some communities, the school is the hub, like there isn't really anything else uh, tying the community together. And you kind of pointed that out in a rural environment that that's particularly true. So after coronavirus occurred, did that still hold true? Did you have other groups kind of pop up or how did that shift for you guys? Yeah, um, we've always had other groups obviously involved in the community, and I think we've worked as a district to actually build that community with them. So it's not just, you know, the the church groups or the schools or, you know, scouts or whatever the organization is. Um, so after after we released our students and decided to do a distance learning um, plan, one of the initiatives that we wanted to continue was making sure that our students were being fed. So the ones that needed the food, um, maybe their parents were laid off or for whatever reason, um, we partnered with other people in the community to make sure that that happens. So we started off, I want to say three days a week, we have like drive-through food pickup. Um, and so our kitchen staff helped put it together. And then we were out there with our masks and gloves, delivering it to the people driving by. Um, we partnered with our, we actually have like a business that sponsors um, some of our events for each school. It's like a school business partnership. Um, and we've also reached out to some of our faith communities. And so there's one that's close to us in Fruitland and they're actually one of our um, partners in education. And we work together to do a food bank at the school. So they advertised it through their, their um, church. We advertised it through our Facebook and our um, newsletters and whatnot. And we hosted it at North at our school. And we had, we had a pretty good turnout considering, you know, we're, we're still locked down and staying home, but you know, people just, those are the basic needs that need to be met. So I think that's where some of those partnerships came through. Um, but I do think that some of the people looked for us for some of the guidance on 
well, what are we doing? What's next? Um, and so continuing to communicate and have messages for them about what our next steps were. Yeah, I think a lot of schools have found that to be true, that um, I heard a couple of people say that they were really kind of nervous, especially about the food situation, knowing how many kids and families were reliant on them. But then to see people and organizations really step up and say, how can we help? You know, what do you need us to do? Um, a few of them have, have had that happen. So that's really good. And you weren't really working with these faith partners much before? Um, we had, but not to the extent that um, I think we have been. I think it just continues to get better. And we continue to look for different ways where we can support the community. Because I think at the end of the day, that's both of our missions. Um, maybe taking different avenues to do that. But I think at the end of the day, that is our goal is to support um, our communities and our students and our parents as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, did you guys try online learning? <laughs> We did. Um, I, I will say that I think as a district, we were somewhat equipped for it um, as far as like the practices we've used inside the classroom. Um, looking at what my teachers have done, I don't think they had to change much of what they are doing um, with their approach as far as online learning. Um, they were using Google Classroom for the upper elementary. We were using Seesaw across the board, um, Edpuzzle. I think they got better at delivering Zoom lessons or Google Meet lessons and, and you know, having those video conferences. I think that was something they weren't very comfortable doing, but I think they got better at that, found different tools that maybe helped them with like Edpuzzle, where they could insert questions and let students learn on their own. Um, obviously, the big glaring issue is internet service. Um, we, we're one-to-one K through 12. Our K through third did not normally bring their devices home, but when, when we decided to release our students and do a distance learning, we sent them home and we decided we'd worry about the, the missing devices and insurance and all that stuff later. But the priority was the learning. So we did send devices home, but, um, Obviously, the equity piece of that is big. Um, we have a fairly large um, free and reduced population in my school. And so there's some families that just can't afford it. And actually, with us being rural, even, even if they could afford it, some of them still aren't able to access it just because there's no available Internet. Um, so I think that's a big, big hurdle for us to overcome. Um, I know there's different places that have like the hot spots that they check out, but you can only have so many hot spots to check out. Um, we talked about having a bus with it on it and driving out to certain neighborhoods. Um, we didn't, we didn't go that far, but we did put some routers outside of the school in different locations. And we did it, I think at every school. And I, I quite frequently saw a couple parents up there in our driveway and their students were on the device actually doing assignments that way. Um, and some of our teachers were doing the same thing. And it was mm -hmm. it was hard for them as well. So and being cognizant of that, like, is this really important? It helped us really evaluate the worth of some of our lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely. It, 
I know everybody was freaked out and exhausted and everything, but all I kept telling everybody was, you will never get a better learning opportunity than you've got yeah. right now. <laughs> you will learn so much about yourself, about your leaders, about your abilities, you know, about yeah. your resources. It, I think the teachers learned way more than the students did. <laughs> yes, yes. Time. And our mantra kept, we kept saying that you got to be flexible because, um, we may say something one week and then the next week, all of a sudden that's changed. Um, so developing that understanding of, okay, it's a, it's a fluid situation. We're going to have to adapt. Um, and I think currently we're, we're looking at, okay, we're looking at actually returning. Um, and it, obviously we're going to put in guidelines and some precautions when, when that comes about, but you never know if, if there's going to be a need to do this again. So we've already sent out a survey to parents, to teachers, and we've looked it over. And we we know there's definitely areas of growth we can make in that department. So trying to evaluate what can we do to change it. Um, and it, I think we're looking at our technology piece. Is there a way to provide more access to our students? Um, with our packets, because some people just prefer to have paper. So with our packets, how can we make that more meaningful? The disadvantage of that is you don't have that immediate feedback. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was it. That's still something where it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we navigate that then? Yeah, it's, um, and I can start personally, I can relate to that. There are some things that I, I still have whiteboards and post-its and, mm -hmm. you know, paper all over the place. But, uh, but when it comes to learning like that, not only do the students not get the immediate feedback, but the school doesn't get the data that yeah. comes with it. And once you, you know, if anybody in education is not a data junkie yet, they're going to get there after this yeah. is done. <laughs> It's amazing what you can learn about your kids and your students just by accessing that dashboard. Yep. That's pretty amazing. So some of the things we talked about the last time kind of related to some of the challenges that, you know, you were talking about with accessibility of Internet and uh, things like that that are usually, I mean, not completely a, a rural problem. There are definitely some issues with access in other areas as well, but uh, the rural landscape does present, you know, some very specific challenges. But you also talked about uh, recruiting and keeping teaching talent as, you know, kind of a factor. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the four-day school week as well that has been adopted by some rural areas. So, have those conversations shifted at all as a result of online learning? Or do you see what you've learned changing any of those conversations at all? Um, I think that door has been opened a little bit. I, I don't see it shifting in our district, at least not at my level. Those conversations may be happening behind closed doors. Um, but not to my knowledge, though. Um, we did contemplate, you know, is it going to be a limited reopening so are we going to have like a and b days or is it going to look like college and you take these courses and these are the times the courses are and we have limited number of students coming or a blended model um and i think we're still not necessarily with a four-day week but i think we're still going to have to evaluate what are we going to do for the students and and um families that are still not comfortable sending their child if we do open up in august um, how are we going to still provide education to them? And so I don't know if that's something that, you know, we have a, 
virtual teaching liaison and maybe that teacher's job is to teach all of our home learning students um that's that's a bridge we haven't crossed but we've we've discussed that there is that possibility where we're going to have to come up with some alternatives for people um i do think that the the four-day week may make sense to a lot of districts especially rural ones with with all the cutbacks you know we closed schools which in turn closed maybe forced some of the businesses that didn't want to close to close um which means less funding on the state level and so a lot of people's transportation was already cut and now we're we're having to cut more so I, I do envision a lot of a lot of school districts looking at how are we going to save revenue, and I think maybe that four day week may be part of that formula. Um, you know, I think there's probably a lot of rural districts that are a little bit worried about are we going to have to consolidate, or are we going to have to combine with other districts as well, which is kind of a it's kind of a scary thought when you think about that being the community hub. You know, if it, if you're having to shut that down, what that's going to look like. Um, I think the challenge, one of the challenges of a four-day week is parents saying, okay, well, what am I going to do with my kindergartner on that four, on that fifth day? But, you know, going through this, maybe people are a little bit more open as to, okay, maybe I can figure this out. Because I think a lot of workplaces are also going to kind of re-examine, do we need to bring people back in all the time? Can people work from home? You know, right now, I'm working during the summer and a lot of my work can be done through the computer and online. There's really, I mean, I go in for the peace and quiet, I think, but it's, but um, <laughs> I think I can work from home um, if that was allowed, but that's still one of the requirements for us is to show up. And I'm sure there's still some businesses that have that old model, but I know more and more are looking at, well, can you work from home? As long as you complete the task, that's fine, which would solve some of that issue for, well, what do we do with our students if it's only a four-day week? Mm, yeah, there's a lot of balls in the air, isn't there? Yes, yeah, yeah. You change one, you change one aspect and it affects everything else and maybe in ways you didn't even contemplate or think about. I think that's why it's good. Any change like that, it's it's good to have a conversation with your community, with all the stakeholders. Um, you're you're never going to get 100% agreement on anything, but um, at least filling out some of those potential issues that you didn't re really anticipate, even if you sat and thought through as many as you could. Yeah, it's and that's not even something I really thought about that normally if a school creates a policy and a plan and this is how we're going to reopen, you may have some parents who say, not me, I'm not yeah. doing that. My kid's <laughs> staying home. And then you have to think about, okay. And knowing that, I think the hardest part about uh, watching this whole thing unfold is that I, I do not pass judgment or criticism or anything on anybody for their choices in any respect. This whole thing is nuts. It's just mm -hmm. chaotic. And everybody has a different level of comfort. Everybody has different vulnerabilities at home. Uh, there are things that other people are dealing with that I'm just not. And trying to have respect and compassion for where everyone is in this process is important, but it's really hard when you're trying to run an organization where it's just a whole lot easier if everybody's on the same page, but it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Okay. So good. Do you think that, so knowing that you're just going to kind of, it, it seems like not exactly a wait and see attitude, but as fall opens and you try to figure out online, I'd be really interested to see what schools figure out, you know, if they can draw talent huh. from other areas, because that made me, I'm, I'm going to be watching Twitter really closely. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that'll be, that's one of the first big tech behemoths to tell everybody, you know, just stay home um, if you want to, because then that opens up their recruiting power to just about anywhere. And so I'm always curious about that. How many people are not willing in the tech sector to move to Seattle or San Francisco or even New York at the cost of living, you know, that they have, it's just not worth it to them. But if they could, you know, even just work here most of the time and travel occasionally, uh, that might open up some, some labor prospects for Twitter that just weren't available, you know, before. Kind of wonder if that's true for schools also. Well, and that's been a common complaint among um, rural schools is, you know, we can be as good as we want to be, but it's still hard to attract talent. So if if you have an online model, all of a sudden that opens up several doors. And I think probably a lot of districts have seen something similar to that with um, some of their employees that were on maternity leave. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, I can do this instruction from home now. So all of a sudden you saw a reduction in number of employees on maternity leave because they said, well, I can finish the year out with my students and see them um, via video chat and I can plan lessons on my time. Um, So I do think that that would open up the doors and we've seen it with um, even here locally. We have a lot of teachers that they're in this program where they're making money on side and I believe they're teaching um, English to students overseas. And I forget the name of the company, but um, they make money, they do it on their own time. And um, so essentially they're kind of farming out our teachers to teach their their children. Um, and so I could see a model like that if, if we do some kind of blended learning. I still think there's value in face-to-face if we ever um, are able to do that. But even if there's a blended model approach, being able to find some of the higher level talent that's used to doing that kind of creating modules and, you know, self-paced courses for students. And I think Missouri's kind of opened that door already for some of the high schools um, Mm -hmm. as far as having that online. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I've been teaching online almost 20 years now and I'll tell you, I completely hundred percent agree. The last class that I taught was a graduate level course that you know was online but I always offer a hybrid component and I'm like if you're around if you want to come in I'll tell you at least half the students do it uh, just yeah. to come in occasionally and touch base and you know work through their research and their data with a group you know to be sure that they're on the right track and that's you know not, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing you know we keep talking yeah. about these as though they're binary and that's completely unnecessary we can't talk about components and I think that's the thing that schools are going to figure out you know, as they're going through this, it's been funny because I've been hollering about this stuff from a pulpit for 10 years and I've never been as effective as the last 10 weeks have been yeah. as far as training. There's uh, nothing like at the deep end of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of our big takeaways has been um, just communication. Um, we thought we were clear and looking back at those surveys, seeing how parents 
were like, well, my kids didn't get very many assignments. And you're thinking, well, I was connected to that classroom. So I saw what your children were being assigned. Um, so understanding that, okay, well, we need to communicate with the parents what the assignments are as well. And um, some of the expectations and even some of that training that goes with it too. You know, we assume that some of our younger parents are very tech savvy, but they have no experience with Seesaw or Google Classroom and those kinds of tools. We're talking more about posting something to Instagram, right? So um, training our training our parents or providing PD opportunities for parents, just like we would have a, a family night for maybe STEM and it show them how to code and do robotics and computational thinking or a reading night or something like that. We almost need that kind of training or open dialogue for parents so they they know how to get what we're sending home and um, we probably need to do it is I think it's a fine line but we need to do it on maybe multiple avenues but at the same time limit that so it's not overwhelming so some may prefer through email some may prefer through seesaw um, but maybe we do it both ways um, but you don't want to be on 10 different platforms either. <laughs> and then coordinating that, that was the other thing. You know, If you have a kid in elementary, you have a kid in early childhood at a different building, you have a kid in the junior high, <laughs> can you coordinate and like combine some of these systems we're using so the parents are not having to learn like 40 different ways um, to access yeah. their job. So. <laughs> and that's been sitting on both the parent and the educator side of this, it's it's been hilarious over the years in telling schools, look, I, I understand that teachers like to use their own tools, that they like having, you know, academic control over what they do from the parent end. Let me tell you, it looks like chaos and it's so hard to figure out. So it, I think schools are going to have to figure out what is this going to feel? How can we streamline at least the access point for all of this? Yeah. And so that parents are able to follow it along. So I learned very early on with online design that if I was getting the same question more than twice, there was mm -hmm. something wrong with my design that yeah. I needed to go back and clarify it and make it clear. I should never have to get. And that's what people, a lot of people don't, I think, understand about online learning is it's just the reason it's beneficial. It's not even, there's a lot of the reasons why it's useful. But part of it is for me getting into it, I just don't want to be hassled. Like, I want you to ask me a question the computer can ask, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're learning as an individual, I don't want to, you know, do something a computer can do. So, yeah. 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 yeah and we've even talked about like having office hours at, at the elementary level, even, you know, if we were to do this again, should you have certain times where parents can access you? That way, if they have a question, you can answer it at that time for them versus like an email back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. and, and obviously you still have to respect the teacher's time because I think that's the other side of the coin is it, I had some teachers that I'm like, you need to take a break from this. Even though you're working from home, you need to use some of that time at home for home. You're not available 24 seven. Yeah, and setting up that expectation for kids and parents, they, they all understand that. Yeah, so just knowing yeah. when they're able to access you and knowing that I'll get back to you within 24 to 48 hours and, you oh. know, they're they're fine with that. No. <laughs> Usually. So, so you mentioned communication was one of the challenges. And in the last conversation we had, we talked a lot about 
we sort of got off on this really funny tangent about conferences and different ways to connect with people. And I wondered about that in light of, you know, this yep. remote learning era. So did, did, were your teachers just, and you, and the administrator, everybody just trying to stay afloat at this point? Did you talk about how you might do professional development or engage, you know, with other people uh-huh. if everybody's still remote? Yeah, so uh, I think I think a little bit of the answer is just yes to everything. Um, I think our goal at that point was just let's just keep the connection, and um, and we weren't really making sure that we were tackling new learning at that point. Um, so it was more about well, we'll reinforce, we'll we'll continue to make connections with our classes. So we were doing virtual classroom meetings. We were um, doing scavenger hunts virtually, um, those kinds of things, um, as well as like covering material that they've already covered and maybe just need their priority standards that still were important to continue to talk about. Um, As far as like conferences and those kinds of things and online learning, as far as the teachers go, we're adopting the new ELA resource and the new math resource next year. Um, so we had to be pretty quick on our feet as far as like, okay, well, how are we going to train our teachers? Um, and we had these, some of it you could say is there's a positive or a silver lining to it because now you have teachers that maybe have a little bit more time, um, to do some PD where they're contracted to do it, where they normally would have been in a classroom. So we use that time to deliver some online PD. And I think it was like a total of eight days in a row. Like it was, it, wow. it was solid. It was, it was pretty intense. Uh, my head was floating. I think the teachers um, were maybe at their limit by the end of it as well, but it was really well done. Fortunately, I think the ELA company that we were using as a resource as they're walking us through some of the materials, I think that they actually started off doing online PD when they first started. So they're actually equipped to make that more engaging versus, you know, click here, do this webinar. Um, they would use like the breakout rooms, have us do conversations, um, do a scavenger hunt to find different materials. Um, they did have videos, but would stop it, talk about it. Um, that kind of stuff. Obviously, I still think it would be better. I'm more of an in-person <laughs> guy. Like, I need to see you. Um, it holds my attention a little bit more. Um, but I think that was pretty well done. They, obviously, we're going to still follow up on it. Um, I think during the summer, we started talking about PD days next year, and we're going to continue talking about that. Um, our curriculum teams are working with those resources. Um, we are in limited capacity right now, bringing people in, spacing them out, and having conversations across the room <laughs> um, over <laughs> over some of the resources. So um, that is the PD component. Um, we did staff meetings at the beginning. It was at least once a week, if not like two, three times a week, um, when we first went remote. Um, then it then it reduced down to once a week, and then it was as needed. Um, but that was all via video conferencing as well. Um, it was almost, it was almost like doing what we were doing for the students, essentially. Um, 
our plan as far as coming back, we're looking at, we're going to have to change our day whenever we come back. Um, so like reducing the number of students in lunch or on the playground, looking at our, looking at our classrooms and how can we, how can we still instruct and, and still keep kids safe and healthy and follow guidelines. Now, some of those guidelines that were thrown out there, um, I mean, you're going to need more funding. Uh, like uh, your busing, I think one I saw was one student per seat and you have to skip every seat on the bus. So with our busing district, that would be, that would be a hard one to follow. But I think the big one is hand washing, coughing into your elbow. If you have a fever, actually staying home and looking at our policies as far as that goes too, is that still up to date with um, what's recommended? And that that's kind of the key. Uh, when a lot of those recommendations came out, that was almost a month ago. And it's funny to see how much has changed in the research yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the last <laughs> month. Around, and I, I wondered about that. I thought, how if you went back, how many of those recommendations are no longer valid, you know, given what we given what we know about it. And I even read something just recently that really clarified how they understand it is transmitted outdoors versus indoors concerning airflow. And I, and I looked at that and thought, oh, well, that completely changes the way I think about this because now we schools could look at all their outdoor spaces and think, okay, well, you know, how can we leverage these to, yeah. you know, make it easier? But Hopefully that information <laughs> doesn't change too much <laughs> between now and then. You just you're really kind of fiddling around in the dark here, trying to figure out what's going to work. Yeah, yeah, and it, and I think some of that going back again to like the community, you almost have to have. You obviously want to follow the the standards set by the CDC and use the recommendations, but you also want to have a pulse on on your community as a whole and your school community, and you want to continue to get feedback. Um, one of the things that we're currently doing is just calling our teachers and asking them, like, you know, you have any apprehension in returning? Um, what are some of your concerns? And some of them may be medical, you know, like uh, my husband has health issues and I'm afraid of getting sick and bringing it to him. Um, and some of it just may be just apprehension. And so talking through maybe some of the guidelines and procedures that we're going to put in place. So. I think just, again, coming back to communication, talking to people or parents when they're worried about their child, you know, that's their number one priority. And so we want to make sure that we communicate with them, that we're, we understand that and we're doing the best that we can to um, keep them safe and healthy. Yeah. And that communication, regular communication, honest, clear, as transparent mm -hmm. as you can be, you know, around it, I'm sure really puts them at ease. And it makes me wonder, too, just in hearing you talk about this, uh, because schools here haven't really been through this yet. And schools tend to ask other schools about things like this. But I often think about the COVID nurses that were in living in my own neighborhood. They were kind of the first ones to go through this. I have to go to work and I could be putting people at risk when mm -hmm. I come home. And far more directly and far more likely, you know, in yeah. their circumstance than in others. And so it kind of makes me wonder if administrators and other school leaders, even teachers, should be asking people in other industries who have had to deal with this and figure out their employee concerns, even if it doesn't exactly, even if the challenges are a little bit different, they've mm -hmm. heard some of the same complaints. So it yeah. makes me wonder. 
Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Yeah, I've never really even thought of that. You know, I have a friend that um, I think one works in a hospital, the other one worked in a nursing home. And so they had to actually take their kids to um, grandparents' house for an extended period of time, um, which I'm sure was hard on them because, you know, you're not you're doing your job and you're helping other people, but now you're not able to see your kids on a nightly basis. Um, so yeah, thinking about like those re-entry plans for, for them, it, that would be interesting to kind of get that information. Yeah. I, my husband runs a credit union so far from, you know, any like serious um, contamination issues, but even then he had different employees with different levels. Some lived with parents who could be vulnerable. Some lived with kids who had respiratory issues. And so they couldn't make a blanket work at home, work in the office statement. You know, it was almost like they could make a generalized policy for 80% of you, but then knowing 20% of you are going to, it's not going to fit, you know, your job description and your home situation. And so um, I know that that was (laughs) something that was really kind of a struggle for them to figure out. So yeah, yeah. Maybe somebody else has the answer for us. It's a nice thing about not being the trailblazer in that area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so once this is all over and done with, because we talked a lot about, you know, conferences and professional development, connecting with people, did you have to give up on any, um, certainly vacations, you know, <laughs> travel yeah. plans that you may have had for the summer, but you know, even a lot of people had to give up on summer conferences. I mean, are there any things that you're like, what are the things that you're really, really looking forward to when you can finally get out and re-engage with people normally again? Yeah, I, uh, well, I'd say number one is just school and, and seeing the students and having those daily interactions. With them. Um, you're you're right about the conferences. We were supposed to go to a pretty big one in, in the summer and that didn't happen. Um, I will say, though, that given all this time, everything's been opened up um, as far as like educational resources. Um, But like I've spent the whole day today learning from I don't know how many different webinars um, and some of them were on, um, you know, equity and some went into technology. I mean, there's a plethora of, of learning opportunities for all of us in education right now. So. Um, as far as that goes, there's a lot more access to some of that and stuff that you normally would have had to pay, you know, hundreds of dollars just for the conference and then for travel and hotel. And it, a lot of them right now are just opening up. Hey, we're doing this webinar for free. Um, mm-hmm. So taking advantage of that ha- has been a nice, um, I guess, change of pace. You're obviously missing out on some of those like personal connections that you make during the conference continuing that but I think you can still virtually in those chat rooms um, do that as well um, I just got off of one um, I think I think Dr. Harrison Rockwood um, has started a webinar series um, called say something and so then after I that was just were you in it <laughs> all right yeah in Dr. Field's um, session yeah he did he did great um, it was great yeah. Yes. And and so then, um, you know, he's doing those every Wednesday. So that's an opportunity. But then you hop on to Twitter and I just followed about, I would say, a dozen new people that have the same concerns as I do. And so now I have a, a bigger network of people to work through some of the issues that um, I would want to address. And just like just like our COVID concerns, 
I don't have the answers. Um, and, and maybe they don't either, but working through it together, um, coming up with better solutions. Um, so I think that's something. And so I think something looking forward to answer your question is getting together with with people that are like-minded in our roles as well um, in a face-to-face -face situation. Um, I'm part of the connected learning team and we had to cancel like our leadership retreat. And so being able to connect with them, especially being the rural one out of the St. Louis group, um, I'm sure, you know, they're like, oh, I'll see you some other time soon. Um, but for me, it's like, well, that's going to be a few more months then before yeah. we see each other. So, so um, you know, getting together um, with those types of people and um, learning from them, I think, is something that I'm looking forward to as well. Um, eating out, going on a date with my wife, I think would would be a nice change of pace. <laughs> yes, getting out of the house. Yes. Yeah. Children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or taking my children to go do something. I think that, that would be a welcome change of pace as well. <laughs> no kidding. Just we were thinking about how much we didn't realize how much we would miss going to the movies. Yeah. At home, but I was like, no, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do know a lot of people have taken advantage of. Well, now we're out in nature a lot more. A lot more people are hiking and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, I can't say that that's me. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's funny that, um, you know, when I started working online, you start noticing a lot of the online webinars and free mm -hmm. resources and everything that are available, and those are super helpful. And I remember thinking early on, well, is this going to mean the end of conferences? Because, you mm -hmm. know, you're getting the information and in the really robust ones, you're even getting the breakout groups and the conversation and everything. But then you start to realize, I think it doesn't make it um, make conferences irrelevant, but you definitely get a lot pickier about mm -hmm. which ones you're willing to pay for and travel for. And it's the ones that can offer those interpersonal, you know, workshop style experiences that stretch your thinking and don't just like dump knowledge into your brain. And yeah. it, I wonder if we're, we should start looking at students learning in the same way. So if we're going to make them come in, then let's, let's do this interactively. Let's make sure that we're stretching their learning. And so it's been funny to watch some of the conversations that you know, people that didn't really look at flip learning all that much are starting to look at it a little mm -hmm. more and think, okay, maybe this can be done on the computer at home and we can do something a little more meaningful and impactful when we actually get together and value that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to kind of lead into that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up and we always finish up with a couple of uh, fun questions. If you could have one new job, you know, for your school that would help things noticeably for you, what would it be? I think that it would probably be someone that's in charge of innovation. And I'm not just talking about using robotics or 3D printing, but connecting it to the standards and helping us figure out how to maybe do project-based learning a little bit more or bringing real life learning into it. Um, and that being their sole focus. We have a lot of teachers that do that on their own and we have district instructional facilitators and tech coaches that help us do that. To have somebody that solely focuses on that, that would really, you know, help us. And it would, it, I think the coaching piece of it would be even more impactful because they would be able to follow up with people and be there 
on a daily basis within our own small building. Yeah. I years and this is like years ago, I can't even remember how many years ago, the first one I met who was technically had director of innovation in his title was a guy out of Chicago. And at the time there were only three in the entire country, which was like just bizarre. Yeah. And I remember bringing him in for a talk and I asked him, you know, what it felt like to to have that role. And he said, well, it's my job is basically I have to say yes when everybody else is saying no, whether I agree with it or not. <laughs> it's kind of my job to yeah. push thinking forward. So it's not always a comfortable place to be in, but um, it helps us all kind of move past that comfort level. And that even, I wonder, it would really set a tone. Um, there are always gonna be innovative, creative teachers you know, that are doing, but it's. I almost wonder if it's hard for them to set a tone when they're spending so much a school-wide anyway, when they're spending so much time just in their classroom with their students, it, it can be harder for them to do. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you would have somebody to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, as a teacher, you're not only focused on that, you're focused on classroom management, you're focused on procedures, you're focused on duties like recess. So mm-hmm. having somebody that can help lead that charge and have conversations with yeah. you would definitely be a benefit. Yeah, that'll be a good use of money. Cool. Okay, so on the other end, a little bit, you know, on the lighter side outside of education, uh, what is one restaurant that you think everybody should go to? What's your favorite place to go? All right, so they're not giving me a slice of cake for this, but I'd say uh, (laughs) Russell's Cafe and Bakery. I had a teacher recommend it. She's kind of a foodie, and um, we were up in St. Louis for a workshop, and she had a stop there. I think they have two locations in St. Louis, but... They have some some pretty tasty sandwiches that they make, but they also have a whole host of desserts, and I believe they bake everything there. So mm. if you're into desserts or if you're into deli-type sandwiches, I'd say check out Russell's Cafe and Bakery. That's awesome. That's a recommendation I haven't heard yet, so I'll have to go check that out. And uh, last yeah. but not least, what is uh, who's like somebody that everybody should be following, do you think, on Twitter or on Instagram? Yeah, so um, I was thinking about people just inside the states. So I would say definitely you mentioned connected learning. So I'd say follow Learning STL, and then anybody associated with that would definitely expand your your net of your PLN. Um, there's a few other people. Howard Fields, who was recently named the Missouri Elementary National Distinguished Principal. Um, He's up there in St. Louis. I think if you're not following him, you definitely should follow him. He's doing great work. Um, Mandy Tolan is somebody that's a math high school teacher, and she's an excellent follower. Follow. She works a lot with um, Ditch That Textbook, and she's on that show quite a bit. Laura Steinbrink, she's in Play-Doh, and she's always sharing amazing stuff. I believe she's a high school ELA teacher. Um, and I've got two more for you. Aaron Lawson and JP Presidento um, are two in your area as well that I'm always following and taking ideas from. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They run uh, the, well, JP, I think, has his own podcast. Uh, I know. He yeah, did at one point. yeah, he does. Yeah, and then uh, they're both on the EdTech Pod Squad, which is always a fun, <laughs> fun one to listen to yeah. as well. So yeah, it's a really great list. Okay, and guys, I will definitely include all of those in the show notes so that you can go and find these amazing people too. So, all right, well, Dr. Lance McClard, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for inviting me. Anytime. Take care.
Okay, everyone, I hope you heard something new and useful today. If you want to learn more or have an idea for a future episode of Rotten Apples, just go to educatestl.org or you'll find resources and links from today's chat and fun news and event information for educators all over the STL. Thanks for listening and connecting with all of us Rotten Apples and for doing what you can to get better every single day. See you soon.